Welcome to the IEA podcast. My name is Matt Flesh. I'm the head of public policy here at the IEA. Each week, this podcast will ask a tantalizing policy question to a top economic and political thinkers. Today's question, are tax cuts inflationary? Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss are belonging to be Britain's next prime minister. Essential divine line of the campaign, either the, now is the time for tax cuts to renew the British economy, or are they doing, risk doing more damage? To answer this question, and for a broader discussion about the state of the Conservative Party leadership race, I'm joined by economist Graeme Gunnigan. Graeme is an honorary research associate at the University of Cambridge, a visiting professor at Ulster University, and a former special advisor. He's author of a large number of books, reports, and journal articles on regional economic growth in the UK and on the growth of small firm firms. Graeme, welcome to the IEA podcast. Thank you. Uh, this week, Graeme, uh, you started a podcast. Oh, sorry. Uh, you signed a letter with some other economists to the Daily Telegraph backing timely, targeted and fully affordable tax cuts. Why do you think now is the time for tax cuts? I think now is the time for tax cuts because uh, the situation for ordinary households is, is, is so difficult, particularly with energy and uh, food price rises. My view of this is that the Chancellor got it right during the pandemic. He, he uh, kept people associated with their workplaces and the people's living standards uh, didn't fall through a very difficult period. But as soon as the lockdowns finish, he, he then decided that um, we must start quickly re repaying back the, uh, the money that had been borrowed. Um, but for various reasons, which I'll explain in a, in a, in a moment, uh, I don't think that was the, uh, the right decision um, and the timing, timing was wrong. I mean, my, my view of this is that the inflation we have is really associated with the pandemic. A lot of it is uh, supply side. It's due to uh, supply shortages and difficulties in a lot of our import suppliers, uh, mainly China, difficulties in shipping and uh, huge increases in, in, in shipping costs. This is all associated with lockdowns and the, and the pandemic. My view is that the Chancellor should have viewed this as an extension of the pandemic. Uh, and, and continue to subsidise, uh, particularly families in, in particular difficulty, uh, through through this period. And the idea of, uh, of we, we we must get on in a hurry and uh, and, and start to repair the uh, public finances, uh, I thought was I don't know somewhere between impatient and imprudent, and it's not 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 necessary in in my view. So, so the counter argument there, of course, Graham, is that, well, now is the time for government to get its fiscal um, situation back in order. If we um, reverse the NI cuts or bring forward the income tax cuts, that's actually going to be demand stimulating in the context of restraint supply side issues. It'll just end up being inflationary. Um, it won't actually do that much good for households. It's going to undermine the UK's economic position. Um, it's not, I, I suppose, uh, to, to use Rishi's phrase, to borrow for a second, it's, it's fantasy economics. But what, what makes you think that it's, it's not necessarily going to have that level of negative impact? The first thing is, I think our current inflation problem is temporary and, and passing. You know, it's, it's due to uh, unusual circumstances, and it will go away. I mean, the OECD's forecast is that in most OECD countries, the uh, inflation rate will, will be way down next year, you know, down to about 3%. Um, they seem to suggest that the UK will take a little bit longer, but even by the next, end of next year, they're talking about 4.5%. Four, four um, as the supply problems rectify themselves. So this is 
a situation where I, I don't think we need to panic. The inflation inflation will uh, will will go away, um, and the the position on public debt isn't all that bad. If we subtract or if we uh, ignore for the moment the proportion of debt that's actually owned by the Bank of England, uh, which is a department of government, I mean, it's you know one part of government uh, holding the debt of another, then our debt to GDP ratio is is only about eighty two percent, eighty three percent, and the OBR think it'll it, it'll it'll gently go down, perhaps within five years to about eighty percent. Now that's a lot higher than the 40 to 50% we, we used to have. But on the other hand, it's nowhere near Italy's 100, 130%. Um, it's, it's something we can live with and we can deal with um, gently over a number of years, in, in my view. No, no need to rush on with this. Mm. Yeah, it, it always does seem a little ridiculous to me to suggest that um, trust as tax cuts, which amount to something like 40 billion, are going to have this huge inflationary impact in the context of broader government spending and, and, and monetary policy decisions. There was, um, uh, Rishi was quoting Patrick Minford at one point saying perhaps interest rates will go up to six or seven percent. He was suggesting Minford was saying that would be a consequence of the tax cuts. I think Minford was making a broader comment that um, interest rates should go higher because um, they've been quite low. Uh, that potentially does some economic damage in terms of the creation of zombie companies and an inefficient industry. If interest rates are too low, it has a whole lot of distorted effects. I think Patrick Minford then clarified he actually meant two to three, maybe four percent interest rates. Do you do you think that um, that it would be a, a positive step for the broader economy if interest rates were a little bit higher? Um, and then I suppose then the natural question then becomes what. What does that do to households, particularly obviously those with mortgages? Is, is that then unaffordable for a lot of households if, if interest rates go up that much? Is it, I suppose it's kind of separate to tax cuts, but it's just a, a broader economic question. Yes, I think it's reasonable to assume that it, 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 interest rates over a range of years will, will, will normalize. I mean, for five or six percent, um, Patrick Minford said up to 70 percent would be, be normal. He wasn't predicting that, or he wasn't saying that that was necessary or that would happen soon but he, he was outlining that as a sort of normal normal level um, and the, the the reason for having interest rates at a normal level is you can then use interest rates as a policy tool i mean when they're zero or negative they, they're not having any effect and we've got a bank of england monetary committee which is rather Choose my words carefully here, but you know, perhaps rather pompously met every um, every week, every month for years, and then decided to do nothing because there was nothing to do. Would have been a great little job to be on that particular committee for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, perhaps their productivity will raise if they actually do something. But, uh, well, exactly. We're going to fix uh, the over, problem. Yes. Um, so having normal interest rates is. Something I think most economists would would assume uh, will will happen and should uh, and should happen. But again, it, it's it's something we can't do very quickly. I mean, people have taken on a lot of debt. Companies have taken on a lot of debt over this period. So if interest rates were to rise very quickly, um, you know, uh, some companies at least would be uh, would would be in trouble. I mean, one view is we have a lot of zombie companies anyway, which have only really managed to be remain profitable because they their interest costs have been rock bottom and as soon as interest rates start to rise uh, a lot of those will go and uh, you know 
perhaps that is the case. I mean, my own modeling on this suggests that if interest rates were to rise, say up to 5%, I mean, it doesn't make a huge difference to the, 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 the growth of the economy, but it will of course make, a, make quite a big difference to, to some companies and some households. Mm. Um, just, uh, I want to get your thoughts on uh, the, the news that's come out later this week um, from Rishi Sunak that he, in fact, will go ahead with at least one immediate tax cut, which is cutting VAT on energy bills. That was called by the Trust campaign a screeching U-turn. Um, do you think that that's a, a good approach to tax cuts uh, to focus in on um, the issue, specific issue of uh, VAT on energy? No, not really. I, 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 I think Rishi Sunak got it right the first time when he made two points. In fact, first, he said uh, it wasn't guaranteed that companies would pass on this uh, any uh, reduction in VAT. They would pass it on to households. Um, and um, second, secondly, it, it was too wide a measure. It wasn't targeted on the people who, who really needed the benefit. I mean, I think those were fair points. Uh, and, and therefore, it is something of a screeching uh, <laughs> U-turn and unnecessary. I don't really understand why um, this problem, the problem particularly of high energy costs in low-income households, or the, the impact of those costs on low-income households, uh, isn't being dealt with through the social security system. I mean, you'll 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 remember that. Um, uh, Every, everyone on universal credit got a £20 a week um, temporary uprate during the pandemic. And then that, that was stopped at, uh, you know, immediately when the pandemic was felt to be over. Um, but as I said earlier, I don't think the effects of the pandemic are over. Uh, and I don't see why that couldn't have continued. I mean, the real problem here, I, I think, is, is the costs, is the impact of high energy and food costs on low income families. So let, 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 let's target it on them. And the, the VAT cut isn't, isn't well targeted and therefore isn't, isn't mm. a, not in my view, a very uh, very appropriate measure. Yeah, I mean, the VAT cut effectively gives a huge subsidy to the biggest um, energy users, the richest households. It gives them a large amount off their um, uh, energy bills without necessarily being particularly well targeted. And the, the other one that um, I think we haven't discussed as much, but it's quite important, which is that Truss's intention to um, not go ahead with increasing corporate taxes. Um, I think this is the best argument that, that the, the Truss campaign has for um, why ta tax increase is actually quite economically damaging. Um, under Rishi's current plans, both ending the super deduction, although that might not necessarily end up happening, but certainly ending the kind of investment incentives within the, some of the investment incentives within the tax system, as well as putting up the rate from 19 to 25%, would, would see the UK really fall down, according to the Tox Tax Foundation, in the international corporate tax competitiveness. Um, and corporate tax has a particularly big um, impact on on where firms decide to invest. Um, Ireland's famously been very successful putting down their corporate tax rates. Um, do, do you think that there's a decent case to make that, at least going to trust people that 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 if you want to encourage investment, you have to keep down corporate tax um, and not not put it up in the short run, um, particularly as the the pandemic is um, coming to an end. Yes, I, I do. Um, I, I I think that's sensible. I mean, it's, it seems to be the, 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 the idea of raising the corporation tax rate from 19 to uh, 25, 26% in one go, 
always always seem rather rather outrageous. I mean, the one of the principles of raising taxes is you do it in small bits, so that it doesn't it, it, it doesn't have a huge um, immediate impact. The corporation tax rate used to be thirty percent under the Labour government, and uh, it was brought down by Tory governments. And I think the plan was to get it down to eighteen percent. Uh, it got down as far as nineteen percent and, and and stopped. And I think the view then this is a view that's been promoted uh, by among others by David Smith in the in the Sunday Times was that that big tax uh, tax reduction didn't work. It didn't increase. It, it didn't do much to increase in, uh, investment. And indeed, company investment hasn't increased uh, very much. But these have been very strange times over the last few years, and it's hard to see. I mean, I think if you look internationally, uh, low headline corporation tax rates certainly do work. Uh, countries you mentioned, Ireland, um, Singapore would be another. Um, companies with low corporation tax rates do, do attract uh, investment. Certain Swiss cantons uh, uh, do that. When um, uh, when Cadbury's chocolate firm was uh, was sold to an American company. The first thing the American company did was move their headquarters to a canton in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. you, you know, within days. Um, so the, the corporation tax, I think, does matter. I don't think, in general, uh, lower or higher taxes affect the rate of economic growth very much. It's it's a, it's a bit of a figment. This, I think, but the one that is likely to have an effect can have an effect is is corporation tax. For the obvious reasons, it's paid directly by by companies. Can I make a point about Ireland, though? This is something that I've looked at quite a bit over the years. I mean, Ireland has um, one of the world's lowest corporation tax rates, twelve and a half percent for all uh, all companies, manufacturing and service sector, uh, and it has managed to attract uh, investment from a lot of. Uh, particularly American uh, high tech companies. I think of the 20 biggest tech companies in the world, I think 17 of them have uh, represented in, in, in Ireland. But when you look at this in detail, it, it doesn't seem to have raised living standards uh, in the South, which on my calculations are still below Northern Ireland. I mean, they're, they're still below pretty well the, the poorest regions in the UK. Now that's not what's shown by the headline national accounts figures. But what one of the um, bad uh, or uh, unfortunate effects of very low corporation tax in the Republic is it's completely distorted the national accounts. The GDP figures of the, of, of the Republic tell you almost nothing about the Republic's <laughs> uh, e e economy. Some American economists say that uh, Irish national accounts tell you much more about the tax affairs of American companies than they do about the Irish, uh, Irish economy. Um, so th th there are lots of problems with very low corporation tax, but it's not just the rate that, that matters. The, the Irish have done all sorts of other things which, uh, which allow and encourage uh, multinational companies to switch a, a lot of their global profits uh, through the Republic. And a lot of that money doesn't really rest in the Republic. It just sort of swishes through the, mm. the uh, washes through the accounts. Um, so the, 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 there are problems. There, there are problems with corporation tax, but in general, I think a lower rather than higher corporation tax does it does attract foreign investment. Again, my, my own modelling suggests it's you know it's not a game changer uh, by any means, uh, but it's not a bad thing to uh, to have something which will attract more rather than less 
uh, foreign direct investment. And just broadening out the conversation a little bit into some of the other policy discussion we've seen during this campaign, obviously, it seems that the main dividing line is on this question of cut taxes now or, or cut taxes later. Um, there does seem to be general consensus with, among leaders that the UK economy is in need of reform. Um, Rishi said he's going to be a, a big Thatcherite reformer. Um, Liz Truss has talked about supply-side reforms to reinvigorate the economy, taking advantage of Brexit, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we've seen a lot of detail necessarily on that front, on, on what these what they actually want in practice. Maybe it's been too short a time. They haven't had the ability to you know, run along they haven't had the capacity of a long period in opposition to develop policies and then come to um, the electorate and, and propose them an election. They've had mere weeks to, to try to throw together some ideas in their policy development. But I'm wondering, what do you think of what the other kind of pronouncements were seen from um, the leaders? And, and is, is it a bit shallow and, and missing in, in detail to you? And what would you like to see? Yes, no, I absolutely agree. I think it is shallow and it is uh, lacking in detail and uh, and in some ways uh, wrong, wrong-headed. I mean, the first thing to say is, look, we, we like many other European and indeed North American uh, economies, we have a real problem on the slow growth of per capita GDP uh, and productivity, particularly since the banking crisis in, in 2008. I mean, hardly any, any, any growth at all. So our economy is, 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 is going nowhere. And this, by the way, I think is a key factor in all the problems we see in the public sector, in the health sector, and education, policing. If we'd continue, if the UK economy had continued growing at its pre, at, at its rate before 2008, uh, and it had continued growing right, right up until to date, the economy would be about 20, 20 25% larger. And therefore, tax receipts would be uh, that amount, 20, 25% larger. More money for the health service, for the NHS, for education, courts, police, everything. Um, so governments are, are having to, to try and um, run the uh, public sector, run things like the health service on a, uh, a, a diminished budget. And this is having effects all over the place. Therefore, to, to get the economy growing, is an absolute priority. But it's a problem across much of the uh, advanced economies of the, of the Western world. And in my view, it's, it's not, a, not well understood, hardly understood at all, I think, by the economics profession, uh, and therefore very hard to, to do anything about this. And to resort to slogans like, you know, perhaps suggesting that lower tax will make a, a significant difference is, is just misleading people. I mean, I think we, we need to admit that, that this is a difficult problem. It's not, not well understood and commit to trying, trying to understand it in, a, in an honest way and avoid the slogans. I mean, returning to Thatcherism is, is ridiculous. You know, if, you, if you look at the figures, the capita GDP uh, grew more slowly on, in the Thatcher period than it had in the previous uh, previous Labour and Tory governments. It, it didn't didn't grow faster at all. Um, we may praise or or agree with uh, you, you know a number of things that that government did, but we can't say that it accelerated uh, economic growth in 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 total. And the first thing it did was was generate one of the biggest recessions we've we've had and. Uh, and generate unemployment rising to 3 million, or if you 
include the people who um, transferred onto invalidity benefit, perhaps 4 million. Um, so we, we, we have a real problem here. We, 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 we must do something about it. Um, a lot of it probably is supply side, but an awful lot of it is a Western uh, problem. Uh, and I, I think our policies relative to China, the, uh, the fact that so much of our manufacturing has been transferred to the Far East and so on, uh, are large parts of this. And that tells you immediately that this is a, this, this is a problem that we probably can't handle uh, on our own. It's, 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 it's got to be a combined thing with the EU and the, um, and, and the US. It will take a long time and, and it's very, very difficult. But I can see that that's, that's not a message which is going to win you a, a <laughs> Tory leadership campaign. Always easy to explain in a, you know, in a, in a short debate. In, in my mind, at least, surely there are some reforms within the UK's grasp that, that could boost pro productivity and, and prosperity. Something major that comes to my mind, which I haven't heard much about during this campaign, is the planning system, which, which by restricting the ability of uh, people to live where they might be most productive um, and making it just far more expensive into people's cost of living in terms of housing, um, is, is probably a massive drag on, on productivity. Um, and the UK economy could be much bigger, despite all the other factors, if it weren't for that, even just that one issue. Um, I, some people have said the UK economy 20% bigger, and that might be a bit of an exaggeration, but at least a, a chunk bigger, um, if they, we didn't have such a, a, a dire lack of housing. Or to take a kind of more micro example, the, the planning system not enabling um, enough uh, factory and, and workspace to be built around Cambridge in, in the high-tech space that for a lot of companies um, really pushes them out or, or makes it much more difficult to operate in the UK uh, as a result of uh, the inability to, to get the physical space they need to operate. Um, do, do you think that those kind of reforms, although it might be politically difficult to achieve, could have a, a, a quite large impact? Yes, there's certainly something to say about that. But, but again, complex issues which needs targeted reforms, in my view. The, the planning reforms, I think, that, that are most needed are, are those on large infrastructure problems. Uh, I was reading an article earlier today on the, on the um, uh, plans to expand Felixstowe Port in in Suffolk. Just how long it's taken, and you know, just how difficult it is in the in the UK. Third Heathrow uh, runway is an, another example. So reforms are needed there. I, I think it's much too easy for people or opponents uh, for these schemes to to slow things down. Um, I mean, all views must be taken into account, but surely it can be done far more quickly than than we do do it in the UK. So on that side, infrastructure problems, big commercial developments, um, I, I think we, we really do need to move to a system whereby uh, timely decisions uh, can be made. On housing, I think it's a much more difficult issue. I mean, my understanding is that there, there's a large overhang of uh, unused planning permissions. It's not a matter of, of giving more planning permission. The developers have plenty of planning permissions and then the uh, and then there, there isn't um, you know, enough speed of building. I mean, it may be other things that accompany the planning permissions, you know, in, in, in including um, rules and agreements on uh, infrastructure, you know, water and drainage provision and all sorts of other things, perhaps there are reforms that could 
uh, could uh, come in there. But, but there are probably things that local authorities could do anyway to speed up that, that sort of development. Um, I, mean, I, I live very close to a lot of the high-tech building in Cambridge, and there's been an awful lot of it in the, in, in the last few years, and new buildings going up um, everywhere. It's not obvious that commercial development in, in Cambridge has been slowed down. Certainly, um, uh, more housing uh, could have been built. What happens in a place like Cambridge is the, um, the price of housing goes up you know, pretty close to London levels. Uh, a lot of the people working in the high-tech companies can afford that housing. But it's people who are working in, in low uh, low-income services, you know, in the, in the shops, in hairdressers and uh, restaurants and so on. Uh, they have to live far away. Sort of thing that happens in a lot of American cities. You know, they, they have long commutes and congested commutes. It's, it's not easy to get into Cambridge in the morning or, or, or out uh, by, by car. Um, so the, those are the people who tend to, to, to suffer here. Whether it slows down the growth of the economy, I think, is a, a much more moot, uh, moot uh, question. And um, I wouldn't be one, for instance, who, who would support a, a free-for-all on, uh, on housing development. I mean, somebody like Matthew Parris said it would be a good idea if Cambridge would expand to a population of two million, which would be one of the great conurbations of, uh, of, uh, of Britain. Well, I think as a, as a conservative, uh, good luck with that one. Um, um, so there's probably an ironic political economy argument here where uh, because the there's, there's practically no conservative voters in Cambridge to begin with if you just built two million uh, new homes there the, the, the backlash wouldn't actually be um, that substantial or that major in terms of uh, Tory party votes you, you know you could almost think of it as a gerry, gerrymander uh, in terms of where you build homes I mean I think the question of permissions is an interesting one I, I think people who uh, are of the viewpoint that the, the planning system isn't working so well, would say a lot of those submissions are being granted in places that aren't necessarily where you'd want to build. And the, and the fact of houses not being built can also, you know, the, the, this kind of land banking happens because a lot of the, the, the planning system is so complex that it's, it's the large, this very small number of large um, housing um, developers um, who managed to get permissions and then they have an incentive to some extent to, to hold back the supply. Um, and if we simplified the process, um, you, you could have a lot more competition in the sector and a lot more smaller developers um, being able to come in and compete with those, with those larger developers. Um, but maybe that, that's kind of a, a broader discussion about, about housing. It's quite interesting to have. Um, I'm kind of interested in, in conclusion what, what you think... Um, so you, I think you made that very interesting point that we, we basically don't have a good idea of, of the, the, the productivity puzzle, as some call it. And we hear lots of different theories um, about what might be causing it. Um, and, and you've suggested there that um, it perhaps could have something broader to do with the kind of structure of the global economy. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in what you'd like to see from, from the next leader to maybe look into that issue to try to resolve that issue. Um, is, is, there, is there a solution in, in our grasp or is this just going to be, is it, is it too big a problem um, in, in the uh, scheme of things? Well, having a pro-business prime minister would, would, would be rather nice. I think some of Boris Johnson's pronouncements about business were, were, were not helpful. Uh, I mean, if business and international business felt that Britain was a, a welcoming place uh, and a supportive place, um, that's a help. Keep corporation tax 
competitive. Um, I think it, it's currently well below many of competitors. And you know, if we put it up a bit, let, 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 let's 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 keep it keep it competitive, um, and make sure that public services and infrastructure and educational uh, standards are all competitive. But the problem with this, of course, is that um, most Western countries are, are doing much the same and, and having very much the same uh, discussion. So it's hard to become relatively more, uh, more, more competitive um, and hard to see exactly what, what, uh, what to do there. I have a view, and it needs more work and more testing. I think that we've just gone too far in offshoring our manufacturing. I mean, most R&D um, and a lot of investment is done by manufacturing companies. So we've become a service sector economy and service sectors by and large have low productivity growth. Not all of them, but, 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 but most of them. And there's a question though, why, why would we as a country of, of um, transferred our economy from one that was you know, about a third manufacturing into one that's now 90%, 80, 90% uh, service sector, when service sector economies, service sectors themselves have low productivity growth. Um, and I think that was something that the, was quite good for company profits and therefore for equity holders, but wasn't actually rather good for the, the country as a whole. And of course, certainly wasn't good for the people who previously worked in, in manufacturing. Some of that would have happened anyway, just due to competitive pressures in in uh, open economies. But I think we we we've gone too far on that. And if we can find ways of of um, rebuilding manufacturing in, in high tech sectors, um, then all, all all to the good. And I think we we need the state behind that. I mean, I'm, it's not my, it's not my view that free markets will naturally um, rebuild a, a UK economy. Free, free, um, free, free markets mean that you know, profits will will follow lower costs where, where, wherever they are. And if we want a, a strong economy, I think the state has to play some role in, in trying to rebuild that uh, high tech sectors. Some of that's uh, much of that can be in the service sector. I mean, we 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 don't need to forget or neglect uh, the high tech service sectors, but high tech manufacturing, I think, must be a uh, a significant part of our our future, and we've lost so much of that that uh, you know it, it it needs a state to get in there to you know uh, to support a renewal and a, 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 a new direction. I might say uh, something slightly in defence of uh, globalisation, as as I as I feel almost duty bound to do, which is to say that I think sure. we'll probably become uh, a lot richer as a world of, of the fact of of global trade, um, and that. I'm not necessarily persuaded that the UK economy needs to try to produce things. I'm open to the idea that we've made it more expensive than it needs to be in the UK to um, produce um, uh, high value chain manufacturing um, and that there, there might be some issues that need to be addressed in that particular area. But I'm, I'm not necessarily convinced, um, maybe maybe you'll change my mind, but I'm not necessarily convinced at this point that we, we should um, poo-poo the, the idea that, that the, the UK economy is quite globalised or that a service-based economy is... Um, obviously, there are some issues in some service-based sectors uh, that are low productivity, things like you know social care or healthcare, for example, particularly state-led sectors or, or highly regulated sectors, um, have been extremely low productivity. But I, I think a lot of people have benefited um, from the, the, the globalisation of, of the British economy and, and the fact that it is a more of a service sector based economy than it might have been in the past. 
Well, how, how would you? That, no, that's fair points you make in, in many ways. But but how do you deal with the points that service sectors, you know, just structurally have low low growth in productivity? Well, I mean, I I think you've you've got to try to address. I mean, it's something obviously something like hospitality. I think it is is difficult to address. Although McDonald's is is upping its productivity by uh, automating away some of its staff by by making you do self checkout. So there's certainly room for improvement in in the service sector that, that can be achieved um, when when there's pressures. Uh, and as a consequence of that, you're you're going to potentially see some boost in productivity. I mean, you probably do get quite high productivity in in other service sectors, things like you know finance or the creative sector that are um, seem to make a major economic contribution. Um, so I, I, would, I would probably think about what are the ways in which the, the service sector could be more productive um, rather than trying to, I suppose, undo the economic transformations. I'm not sure what the answer to that question is, to, to be honest, <laughs> but I, I, I probably lean more that way than trying to get back into manufacturing in a, in a, in a large way or try to subsidise the manufacturing industry that's, as you know, if you try to subsidise or you put tariffs, it doesn't end up being particularly productive. Well, you know, obviously our financial sectors and the, and the associated legal and business services are, are terribly important. They've been very successful uh, to the UK. But they can't they can't make themselves big enough or, or stretch far enough across the country to uh, you know, to, to be the basis of, of, of general prosperity. I mean, they, they generate a lot of tax income and a lot of that tax income supports the, uh, the lower productivity regions further north and, uh, and, and, and west. But that's not really the sort of economy we, we, we actually aspire to. You know, we want something where the where Productivity and affluence are, are more widely spread than that. You know, that's what levelling up is, is, is supposed to be about. Again, we, we haven't got on to levelling up, but again, <laughs> I'd be a sceptic in the, in the sense that's a very pretty difficult problem that's been you know, addressed in rather shallow ways, I, I think, at, at, at present. Yeah, I mean, we can we can come back and uh, get you on your area of expertise in terms of regional economic growth and and leveling up and in a future podcast. Thank you very much for uh, joining the IEA podcast, Graham. It's been a pleasure to have a chat with you about the state of the uh, election race and the UK economy and uh, some broader thoughts. Thank you. Very very nice to talk to you.